This week, the Nationals take on the Bryce Harper-led Philadelphia Phillies, and Walters is a great spot to meet before and after the games. Walters also is showing Olympic coverage all day and night, and this Saturday night, UFC 265, with Jose Aldo taking on Pedro Munoz and main event Derek Lewis versus undefeated Cyril Gaon. Make your reservations for this week's events now at waltersdc.com slash reservation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The set for Gray. His first pitch is nubbed off the end of the bat. Third base side. Keeboom cuts it off to his left. Fires to first and the inning over. Jojo Gray with a fist pump as he departs the mound. He works out of his first big-time jam. First and second, no outs. The Phillies do not score. Sim wiggles the bat behind his ear. Here comes the 2-1. Swinging a ground ball to third. It's through. A base hit left field. Keeboom scores. Headed home, Garcia. He will score. And the Nationals lead. Ryan Zimmerman drives in the tying and the go-ahead runs. It's the Nationals 3 and the Phillies 2. Swearo ready down the pitch. Swing and a line drive to the left center field. That's going to be a base hit off the changeup. Rounding third is Harper. He'll score. The third, Real Muto. He'll stop there and holding it first with a single to left center and a run batted in is Alec Bohm. Four runs home in the inning. Runners on first and third. It's now the Phillies six and the Nationals three. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, along with Nationals Insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We come to you off a 7-5, or was it 6-5? We're still trying to figure that out. Nationals lost to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on Monday night in game one of a four-game series. No, the score was 7-5. There was confusion uh, at the end of the game. In addition to there being a praying mantis on the cap of uh, Victor Robles, and that became all the rage on social media. I'm not sure what a bigger deal uh, was at the end of the game, Mark, the Mantis or the score, but at least we had some things to distract us from the implosion of the Nationals' bullpen in that top of the ninth inning. Boy, Al, this was shaping up to be a really like uplifting, optimistic night for them. You get a great, you know, impressive performance from Josiah Gray in his debut. You get the old man, Ryan Zerman, comes through with the bases loaded to give him the lead. And it's like, here's the old and the new coming together. And then you get to the ninth inning and you realize, wait a minute, who do they still have to pitch at this point? And the answer was not Kyle Finnegan because he's gone six times in eight days. And so Davey was kind of in a bind and he thought he could maybe get away with Gabe Klobositz for two innings and that didn't work. And the last man standing is Wander Suero, and we saw how quickly that devolved. And 
as I wrote in my story at MassInSports.com, and we're going to have to remember these things, this is going to happen. There are going to be nights like this, and we're going to have to separate the end result with the good things that happened in a game that, to be honest, at this point, that's the stuff that's going to matter more in the big picture is how the young guys do. And as agonizing as that ninth inning was in the bigger picture, it's far more important what Josiah Gray did in innings one through five than what Wander Suero did in inning nine. I think that is 100% the way to look at the national season the rest of the way. You need to try as a Nats fan, and it's not easy, I understand that, but to divorce yourself from the outcomes of the games and get more caught up in the process of the games and who does what. The who does what now matters a lot more than the actual results of these games. I think that's the way to look at this because that's certainly, I think, the way that the Nationals are looking at this. So we'll get to the bullpen and everything else, but the headline item is the debut for Josiah Gray, maybe the most prized possession of the Nationals in terms of the 12 prospect haul that was achieved by trading away eight guys in a period of a little more than 24 hours. I mean, it's Josiah Gray or the catcher, Kibir Ruiz, and Mark has found the correct pronunciation of that man's name. It is Kibir, correct? Kibir, that's what I was told. So they're going to have a Kibir and a Kiboom. I'm sure the social media team from the Nationals won't have any fun with that one at all when that happens. Yeah, probably not. But Josiah Gray was out there on Monday night, and I think all things considered, did a nice job. One run in five innings. I mean, was this the Strasburg debut? No, but that's probably like a once in a generation occurrence. Josiah Gray goes out there, only gives up four hits, a solo homer and three singles, issues two walks, uh, only had two strikeouts. So if you want to nitpick, I guess you nitpick about that. Throws 71 pitches, 47 strikes versus 24 balls. I thought he looked comfortable. I thought he worked pretty quickly. He certainly worked effectively. I mean, you don't say that he's arrived and is a finished product, but all things considered, Mark, I thought this was a good night. I thought Davey pulled him at just the right time. You can feel good if you're a Nats fan about Josiah Gray's first game as a national. Absolutely. Here are the two things that stand out to me beyond the numbers of any of it. Number one, he threw strikes. He got ahead in the count. Almost everybody. He was consistently throwing strike one, and I lost track of how many times, but he had a bunch of hitters 0-2 throughout the course of the game. That's a great sign from a 23-year-old in that situation. And the second thing, and it sort of ties in with that, but just overall, what he looked like on the field and also how he was with us afterwards. And I know a lot of fans maybe don't care about what kind of interview they are afterwards. The word that just kept coming to my mind all night with him was poise. There was so much poise on the mound, given the situation, talking to us afterwards. He's 23 years old. It wasn't his major league debut, but it's only his third career appearance. And obviously this one had a little more significance to it because it's the first start for your new team that just went and traded two of the biggest names in baseball to acquire you. And he handled everything about this night so well. I was just really impressed with that for a 23 year old, you know, who knows what this is going to end up as long term in his career. But I was really impressed with the maturity, the poise, the command, you name it. That to me even mattered more than however many runs he gave up or how many strikeouts he had. Had he gotten shellacked, I really don't think that that would have been that big of a deal. But I think with what the Nationals just did, you did want him to put a good first foot forward. And he did do that in this game. Perfect top of the first inning, strikes out Gene Segura on five pitches, including a 95.3 mile per hour four seam fastball for a swinging strike three. He tossed scoreless third and fourth innings despite allowing two runners on base in each inning. Got into some trouble in that top of the fourth leadoff four pitch walk of Bryce Harper then gave up a first-pitch single to JT Real Muto, but Gray then recorded three consecutive outs. The homer was a leadoff full-count homer by Odubel Herrera in the top of the fifth inning. Gray in that inning also issuing a two-out four-pitch walk of Gene Segura, but that's fine. You know, 
you're going to have to learn to navigate with guys on the base pass, and Gray was able to do that. This is so unique, Mark, because so often when teams sell off, you don't see the prospects for like years. And in this instance, just a few days later, you see, actually you ended up seeing two of the prospects in this game and both Gray and Mason Thompson, but you see two of the more prized prospects acquired by the Nats. That's not the kind of thing you're used to, right? When teams sell off, it's like, oh, you got to wait two, three years before you see these guys. You have no idea what they'll be. No, this is like instant gratification. If you're a Nationals fan, you get to see at least some of these guys right away. Yeah, and I think that is also a key to uh, across the board what they did. They're not all of them, but I, I want to say at least like six out of the 12 they acquired. Their estimated timeline to reach the big leagues is either later this year or next year. That's significant, and I think it also tells you about the quality of prospect. Very often, a rental player that you trade away, you might get a single-A prospect who was years away. And in this case, especially the, the trade with the Dodgers, both the top two guys are basically big league ready right now. So I think that's a, an even higher level of prospect than the guy who's looked great at single A or maybe just reached double A, something like that. No, I mean, these guys are on the cusp already. So yeah, no, I think that is absolutely significant. And I agree. I mean, you you wanted him to look good in this first one. It just makes everybody feel better about what happened over the weekend. If he got lit up, yikes. I mean, we're talking, I think, a, a little different story. Not that it really would have mattered in the grand scheme of things, but I think it's nice to give a good, solid first impression. And that's what he did. And I think also, you're going to start to see him go a little bit deeper the rest of the way. We have to remember, he hasn't actually pitched that much. And he hadn't gone, even in the minors, more than five innings this year. His major league start had only been four innings. So they were going to cap him at 75, 80 pitches tonight, no matter what. So I agree that was the perfect time to take him out. He got Bryce Harper out to end his night. All good. But I think we will see him, before the season is over, start to be pushed a little more, get up closer to the 100 pitch mark, and maybe six or seven innings even. Gray, as of Monday, per MLB Pipeline, was the Nationals' number two prospect and the number 41 overall prospect in baseball. He had had some struggles in his brief time at the major league level this season. Eight innings over two games, one start with the Dodgers. Gave up six runs, including four homers, although he also totaled 13 strikeouts. Do we know, is he on some kind of an innings count? Like, is he going to have to be shut down at some point later this season, or is he going to be allowed to pitch the rest of this season for the Nats? I think he's good to go the rest of the way. Like I said, he hasn't pitched a whole lot to begin with. So I think there are still enough innings left that they can do that. But they're going to watch him. They'll see how he feels. And, you know, Davey did say that he noticed by the end of the fifth that he was maybe starting to drag a little bit. You know, the stamina might have started to become an issue. I mean, he faced the lineup three times, at least the first three hitters. So it's not like it was a super quick hook for him. So I, they're going to be careful with him, obviously. He's a 23-year-old and he's the future here. And as much as we all want to think that their number one goal here is to win games, it's not right now, not the rest of the way. But all things considered, I mean, I don't think you could ask for much more than what you saw from him. Everybody seemed impressed with him. Like I said, not just the performance, but the way he he handled himself, handled the situation. You have every reason, the Nationals have every reason to be happy with how that one went. All right, so with the Nationals bullpen on Monday night, before we get to the collapse in the top of the ninth inning, another prized acquisition from the Nationals sell-off, making his Nats debut on Monday night. Mason Thompson coming in. He was the first reliever in the game. It was interesting, right? The Nats went from Josiah Gray to Mason Thompson. I don't know if that was by design or it just worked out that way, but that was kind of cool. And uh, we see Mason Thompson coming to the game. So the Nats got him from the San Diego Padres in the Daniel Hudson trade. Thompson and this infielder, Jordy Barley. Thompson was a Padres number nine prospect per MLB pipeline at the time of the trade. Thompson tossing a scoreless top of the sixth inning, gives a back-to-back two-out singles to Alec Bohm and D.D. Gregorius, then issues a two-out four-pitch walk 
of Odubel Herrera. So you're saying, oh my goodness, like this, what, this is going to be a disastrous Nats debut for this guy. And then in one of the cooler moments of the night, and you were there, I was not, but it sounded like there was a big pop for this at Nats Park. Thompson striking out a pinch hitting Reese Hoskins on three pitches. Mason Thompson is tall, lanky, he's a flamethrower, and uh, that was a big spot that he created on his own, yes, uh, but he did come through in to complete that scoreless inning. The tall right-hander comes set. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. And the side retired, and the Phillies leave the bases loaded. Mason Thompson's Nationals debut ends with his first strikeout in a Nationals uniform. Yeah, there was some pop in the stands for that one. They were into it as the at-bat built up. And the 0-2 pitch, I mean, 96 and the movement on it. That's a sinker. That's not a four-seam fastball. That's a sinker that moved way in on Hoskins' hands. That was impressive stuff as well. Yeah, he he got into a jam. The first runner, it was kind of a fluke thing. It was a comebacker that bounced off him, went to the shortstop. And I even thought that uh, Garcia might have had a shot at it, and he didn't. But, you know, so yeah, he got into the jam. But we got to see a little bit of something from him, some onions perhaps, from uh, Mr. Thompson as he figured out uh, how to get a good big league hitter out in Reese Hoskins and that inning. So again, these are the things we have to try to focus on now. And it's it's not just like, oh, we're just looking for the silver linings or we're or just trying to like only focus on the positive things. Like, no, these are actually the more important things right now in the rest of the way than maybe what happens with some other guys who aren't necessarily as big a part of the future. So six innings tonight, everything's great. No complaints at all if you're the Nationals. See, if only these were seven-inning games. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Although, Davey would still find a way to get Suero in in the seventh, even if that was the case. Yeah, potentially, yeah. I heard Davey still tried to put Hudson in the game. They said to say, Davey's not on the team anymore, right? You can't put him <laughs> in anymore. Sorry. Uh, all right, so Sam Clay relieved Mason Thompson, and Sam Clay comes into the game. It ends up being a Phillies one-run seventh inning, faces three batters, gets just one guy out, retires the first battery faces, then issues a one-out seven-pitch walk of Gene Segura, then gives up a one-out full-count double to our guy, Bryce Harper. Then Andres Machado comes into the game in this one-run seventh inning, issues a one-out run-scoring wild pitch with the bases loaded to allow an inherited runner to score for a 2-1 Phillies lead. Then it is Klobo time. Gabe Klobositz, the 6'7", 270-pound stirrups-wearing reliever for the Nationals, he tosses a perfect top of the eighth on four pitches. I mean, you love that. You say, wow, Klobo. I was ready to anoint him on this podcast, Klobocop. Like RoboCop, like he's got a, <laughs> he's, he's got a great look. You know, this guy to me can become a very quickly become a fan favorite. He looked awesome in that eighth inning. And then it was like somebody uh, forgot to remind Klobo that the game goes nine innings. He starts the top of the ninth inning, gives up back-to-back singles, then gets pulled from the game. And I'm saying to myself, are they going to go to Kyle Finnegan again? And then <laughs> when I heard Bob Carpenter say, watch her Suero, I said, oh, my God, uh, here we go. Suero comes into the game, top of the ninth, no outs, runners on first and second. Nats are nursing a 3-2 lead, and Suero from the get-go does not have it. Uh, we, we know the deal. Good Suero, bad Suero. It was bad Suero again. Game-tying opposite field RBI double to the right center field gap to the first battery faces Gene Segura. Suero then issues an intentional walk to Bryce Harper to load the bases. Suero then gives up a full count two-run single to JT Realmuto. Phillies take a 5-3 lead. Suero then gives up a one-out ribby single to Alec Bohm for a 6-3 lead. And then a fifth Phillies run in the ninth inning scores on an inning-ending double play. That's where the confusion came in. Was it 6-5 the final or 7-5 the final? But whatever the case, Suero was bad. Klobo was great in that eighth mark, but the ninth inning was a different story. So, all right, a couple things here. Finnegan was not available. He had pitched six times in eight days. That is a lot for anybody. That's even a lot for Daniel Hudson. Davey could not push him any farther than that. So that was just one. You you can't do it. You just can't do that. So 
Now he's got to go with, okay, who would I have left? And I don't think it was necessarily the plan going into this to say Klobosits is going to go two innings, but he was so quick in the eighth, four pitches, like you said, three strikes. And the previous day, he had gotten through a quick inning on seven pitches. And you're thinking, all right, let's give this thing a shot, see how he can handle it. But, you know, I don't know that you could leave him in after the first two runners get on. I think it was the right move to pull him. At that point, he also noticed the velocity going down. And now, you know, what are your remaining options? And at that point, it's Suero, it's Jeffrey Rodriguez, or it's Ryan Harper. Now, everybody's been asking, where's Ryan Harper? He's got the zero point something ERA. Why isn't he pitching in big situations? And the answer is that they don't see him as someone who can pitch in big situations. Let's also remember he's like 33 years old, just reached the big leagues last year for the first time. And we can all look at Wander Suero and say, we think we know what he is at this point. But as Davey is saying, he's going to have to use guys in situations like that. This is trial time. And let's see if you actually have what it takes. And obviously there has been some growing evidence to suggest that Wander Suero is not the man for those kind of situations. But at this stage, given the lack of other options they have, I think he's going to side with someone like that, who in theory is a part of the long-term plan, as opposed to somebody well into his 30s who it does not appear is part of their long-term plans. Well, Wander Suero is in his age 29 season. So, you know, he's not some like rising guy who was just summoned from the minors. I mean, I get that Ryan Harper isn't that guy either, but Harper has gotten outs. Wander Suero, I mean, you said we think we know who he is. I think we know what he is. He's a 50-50 reliever. He's like, he's a dime a dozen in Major League Baseball. He's the kind of guy who, if everything goes well, can actually be good for you in a season, but he's also a guy who you just can't trust. I mean, the sample size is large enough now to where we know this. Now, again, like, is anyone really that invested in the outcomes of these games at this point? Probably not, but I don't get it. Why wouldn't you give Ryan Harper more of an opportunity? It, It just seems odd to me. Suero, he's not a building block for the future. Like maybe he's back next season. Maybe he's not, but this is not some young arm. This is a veteran guy. They've had him for years. They know what he is at this point, don't they? I would think so. I would hope so. He strikes me as the, you know, best case scenario. He's like the fifth reliever in a seven man bullpen, something like that, you know? So I don't think it's going to ever get better than that. But the situation they're in, they're going to view him as at least more in a prospect kind of mode than they will Ryan Harper. Now, maybe that changes at some point here and they just realize, OK, th- this isn't going to work and we just got to go with the hot hand no matter who that is. Maybe we'll see more of that. You know, hopefully Finnegan gets a little bit of a break and now we can see more of him because he has looked good and he is part of the future as well. <laughs> Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps 
from the Silver Spring Metro, Silver Branch Brewing Company. When you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National Season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week, like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.TV. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, one. McNeil lines toward left, caught by the third baseman Diaz, and the Marlins defeat the Mets tonight 6-3. McNeil hit a rocket, but Diaz reached out to his left, he handled it. And after a leadoff double by Michael Conforto in the ninth inning, the Mets don't score. They get shut out over the final six innings of this game, and the Mets could never make up the four-run deficit in the first. Now, here's the harsh stat of the night, and if you do care about the results, this is what's going to drive you crazy. They've now blown four saves in nine games, and they're still six and a half back at the Mets. If they don't blow those four saves, two by Brad Hand before the trade deadline, then two, the last game in Philly, that one was, uh, well, it was Clay, I think, ultimately, that gave it up. And then now Suero in this one, they're only two and a half back in the race, okay? Now, I'm not, don't take that to mean that I say, like, oh, they should be two and a half back. Or if only they were, like they actually have a chance to win this division. I still believe that what they did, what Mike Rizzo did, was the right thing and that he accurately evaluated the situation and made the moves that needed to be made. I'm just saying the ridiculousness of the NL East and the fact that the Mets are incapable of actually seizing control of this puts them in a spot where literally if they just hold a lead in the ninth inning four times in the last nine days, they are absolutely right in the thick of this race right now. Yes. I mean, that is a very convenient cherry picking of things because that's an alternate universe in which you're assuming everything else goes exactly as it has. I think you also could say if Kyle Schwarber doesn't have the month of his life in June, then what are we looking at here? Like it took Kyle Schwarber going nuclear in June for this team to go on this run of 14 wins in 17 games. If not for that run, if not for that surge, what are we looking at here? I mean, the Nats, I don't think it's just about their bullpen. I don't think you do either. I mean, they're a bad team. They're a flawed team. So I I think they are more or less where they should be on the year. But yes, I mean, it it does convey that this division just is not good at all. 
And it's going to take a while for the Nats to truly be buried in this division. They're not buried because it's the division that nobody wants to win. I mean, this is, I don't know if it's possible for a team not to win a division in a season, but if it is, it's going to happen in this National League East. I mean, I was looking at the standings today. I mean, it's not just like the National League West. Look at the American League East. Look at those teams, those records, those run differentials, and compare those to what you have going on in the National League East. The NL East is an embarrassment this season. And seeing these teams up close playing the Nats, are you impressed by any of these other teams in the division? Because I'm not. I'm not impressed no. by the Phillies or the Mets or the Braves or the Marlins. Like, no. they're all just kind of ho-hum, meh, you know, blah teams. Like, that's what this division is this season. Yeah, no, the Phillies are doing nothing for me right now. <laughs> and, I mean, they got all their kind of, they got all kinds of issues. And they're only two and a half out now. So, I mean, they're really thinking they're in it. And they didn't even do that much at the trade deadline to help themselves. The Braves are the one that I kind of thought all along, oh, they're going to get it together here at some point. Because they were a really good team that was one win away from the World Series a year ago with tons of young talent. But then they lost Acuna. They lost Ozuna. They lost Soroka, their ace, who was already trying to come back from an Achilles injury. And it's just been too much to overcome. I wouldn't be shocked if somehow they end up winning this thing, though. I still feel like maybe from a talent standpoint, they have the best thing going for them. And the Mets just keep finding a way. That's why I said all along, like, I just don't trust the Mets until they actually prove it over the long haul. They will find a way, as they almost always do, to botch it. And, I mean, that's exactly what's happening. So when I'm talking about the Nats could only be two and a half out, what I'm really saying is it's more of a reflection of the New York Mets than it is of the Washington Nationals. And you said the AL East. Right now, like, the Toronto Blue Jays aren't in the race at all, and they'd be running away with the NL East. The Yankees have a better record than the Mets. But if you asked like people in New York who's having the better season, everybody said the Mets. The Yankees are, are a failure, supposedly, this year. They have a better record than the Mets. It's truly bizarre. And I, at this point, I'm just kind of fascinated to see like what is the final win total going to be and how low is it going to get? And are we going to get in that range where like it's even a question if they're going to finish at 500 to win the division? Yeah, and you could have a team win the division with a negative run differential. The Braves do have by far the best run differential in the division for people who are into that. I mean, personally, I am. I do look at that. But yeah, I mean, the Mets, as we're taping this right now, they are on the season 55 and 50 atop the division with a minus 10 run differential. Like it's been, it's been just such a, a, uh, such a down year for this National League, which was supposed to be great. Like this is not the American League Central of recent seasons that everybody kind of knew going into each season was not going to be good. This was supposed to be maybe the best division of baseball, and it's been the exact opposite uh, so far this year. All right, so the Nationals offense on Monday night, five runs on six hits and four walks, one of four with runners in scoring position. It was a quirky thing. It was for a while a cool thing. The Nats had three runs in the game. All three runs had come via pinch hits. Andrew Stevenson, a one-out pinch solo homer to right field in the bottom of the sixth to tie the game at one. Great job by him. And then Ryan Zimmerman, who, as we have noted, has not done well in a pinch hitting role this season, comes through big time. One out, bases loaded, bottom of the seventh. He punches a pinch, one out, two run, seeing eye single through the left side of the infield for a 3-2 Nats lead. I would venture to say that was the loudest that Nationals Park got on Monday night. Yeah, it was, yeah. More than it was for uh, Thompson or Gray or anyone. I mean, look, when Ryan Zimmerman steps to the plate now, and certainly for the rest of this season, the crowd is going to love it. This is what a lot of them are here to see. They don't know how many more times they're going to get to see this. And he delivered. Now, look, Zim's been bad with the bases loaded. Been really bad. One for 11 going into this one. But he found the hole on the left side, drove in the two runs. And yeah, like I said, I was thinking I'm, I'm crafting in my head my story that I'm writing as this is all playing out. I'm thinking, oh, here you go. 
here's the perfect duality of the franchise, to use a term that people have uh, made fun of here recently, and, which is, uh, you know, the night starts with their future on display for five innings. And now here's still the old man who still has it in him. The guy who's been through the first rebuild, he's seen all the other kids come up and make their debuts. And tonight, he actually helped make this one into a win to help out Josiah Gray. And then things fell apart after that. So that great storyline was lost. But it's a great at bat from Zim. I mean, there, there was some good stuff there. It unfortunately came very late offensively. I mean, they had nothing going early on. The Phillies kind of pitched this one backwards. Ranger Suarez, who's their best reliever, started the game, went three innings. Then they go to uh, Hector Neris, who's usually a late-inning reliever. He goes two scoreless. Alvarado, the big lefty, comes in in like the sixth inning. It, it was a very backwards game, the way that Joe Girardi managed it. I guess it worked out in the end. But an odd game, just from a, a strategic standpoint. But good at bat from Zim, good at bat from Stevenson, good at bat from Keyboom at the end on the home run, even though it was kind of garbage time at that point. It just wasn't enough, given what else happened in the top of the ninth. Yeah, Kiboom has not done well defensively, as we've talked about. He's been okay offensively in this latest stint at the major league level. And a couple of hits on Monday night, two for four, two-run homer. And that was a bomb that he hit uh, to left field, bottom of the ninth. Uh, the homer going a projected 423 feet per stat cast, so a two-run shot for Carter. And then he had that broken bat single in the Nationals' two-run seventh inning. And it also was another productive night for Yadiel Hernandez, who is uh, back out there as an ad-starting left fielder. One for three with a single, a walk and an outfield assist. Long look in, Machado ready. Harper again, the big lead off third. Here it comes. Swinging a fly ball left field. Hernandez moving in on it. Harper back to tag. Hernandez makes the catch. Harper trying to score. Hernandez throw toward the plate. The tag by Barrera. He is out at the plate. Yadiel Hernandez guns down Bryce Harper going in with a head first dive for his first outfield assist of the year. And that's a double play to retire the side. What a throw there by Yadiel Hernandez. All of a sudden, Yadiel, he's, he's taken the baton from Kyle Schwarber in terms of Nationals left fielders this season who have bad defensive reputations, but who surprise you with what they do defensively in left field. Yadiel had that good look and catch in addition to the two homers, including the walk-off homer and the win over the Cubs on Sunday afternoon. And then Yadiel on Monday night, a great outfield assist to gun down Bryce Harper at home. For the final out in the Phillies' one-run seventh inning, an inning-ending double play. Yadiel catches a Brad Miller full-count flyout for the second out and then makes basically a perfect throw at home to get Bryce Harper. Uh, Hernandez also had a leadoff opposite field single to left field in that Nats two-run seventh, had a leadoff walk in the Nats two-run ninth inning. But Yadiel, I mean, he's an older guy, but uh, he's showing us some stuff here in recent games. That was a great throw. I mean, that, that to me was the highlight. And on top of that, Barrera, let's give credit to him, on the tag. If you noticed, he got the left foot, as soon as he caught the ball, he got the left foot to block the plate and prevent Harper from getting the hand in as he tagged him. And yes, for those who don't know, that is legal. If you have the ball, you can block the plate. The difference of the rule that they changed several years ago was the catcher cannot block the plate in advance of receiving the ball. Once he has it, you can do that. And because people forget this too, the runner can run over the catcher if he has the ball and is blocking the play at that point. Now, it didn't apply in this situation, but I thought it was a great tag, great play by Barrera, and a perfect throw by Yadiel, who, let's say it, he's seizing the opportunities that he's getting right now. I don't know what it means for the future, but he is absolutely making the most of this at the plate in the field, and a lot of people are happy to see it. Yeah, very good to see that with Yadiel, and uh, he's making the most of an opportunity here, so all props to him. <laughs> 
Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT, and games on Tuesday night include a juicy one late night. Houston Astros at the Los Angeles Dodgers at 10-10. Lance McCullers Jr. versus Walker Bueller. We will ride LA. Bueller on the season, an ERA of 219. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Game two for the Nats against the Phillies at Nationals Park, Tuesday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin versus Zach Wheeler. Each guy signing a pretty big free agent contract over the last few off-seasons. Wheeler has worked out for the Phillies so far. Corbin was very good in year one, as we all know, key part of a World Series championship team. But the last two seasons have not gone well. This will be start number 21 for Patrick on the season. He will enter this game with an ERA of 578. We have had the Corbin chat many times. I don't know what else there is left to say. I mean, this guy's got to be better. I don't know how we can expect him to be better, given what we've seen. You know, it got lost in the shuffle because his last outing came on Thursday afternoon in game two of that doubleheader split at the Phillies. So this was when, you know, everything was hitting the fan in terms of Max Scherzer. But Corbin in that game was not good. That was at 11-8, 8-inning loss. He allowed four runs in five innings. He at one point allowed three home runs over the course of four batters. You know, the focus right now is on the young guys, yes. And Corbin's not going anywhere. I get that. But man, it would be nice if he pitched better over these final two months of the season so that him and his situation were viewed differently going into next season. 100%. He needs to end the season on a higher note. It doesn't even need to have great numbers at the end of the year. But he's got to end the season with some reason for optimism because I'll tell you what, we were discussing this before the game today. Who's their opening day starter next year? It's not Max Scherzer. I don't think you can count on it being Steven Strasburg. I don't know that they're going to throw, you know, Cade Cavalli or Josiah Gray into that spot. Patrick Corbin is the veteran, the one making the money. My money right now might be on him as things stand right now as the opening day starter. Boy, you would certainly like for him to go into that one feeling a little bit better about how he finished out this season because if he ends the year with a ERA approaching six and can't get it together, boy, that's a big matzo ball hanging over him for the offseason heading into next year with three years to go on his contract. Paolo Espino, opening day <laughs> next year. I should have, you're right. I should have realized you're right. Let's get that trending. Hashtag Paolo for 2022 opening day. I want to get that trending here. 
via the Nats Chat podcast. No, they, it's. I mean, they don't have an obvious guy right now. You know, they it probably would be Corbin, and that says a lot about a lot. No question about that. All right, keep the feedback coming. We continue to get uh, so many good thoughts and uh, takes and angles from you guys about everything that the Nationals have been doing. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, you don't have to just email us in written form. You can email us via voice memo. You can record yourself asking a question, making a comment. We'll play the audio on the pod. Just hit us up via email, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Also, Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available for you. We appreciate all of you who have bought your Nats Chat Pod t-shirts and worn them out to the ballpark. You can get your shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now the set. And the pitch swung on and belted deep to left field. Way back. Going, going, and long gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Carter Keeboom with a home run to straightaway left field. It's his first in the big leagues this year. A two-run shot here in the bottom of the ninth inning.